Welcome one and all to episode 97 of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down Lace and Grace and Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and my co-pilot, it's Noah DeGeorge. Uh, I should be really uh, asking you the question of uh, how are you, Garrett? I'm- because uh, are you safe? Are you are you indoors? I heard there was a tornado was. in Los Angeles I just saw today. that on Twitter, yeah. What the hell? It's crazy. I know. Like, I, I feel like ever since I moved from the Midwest, the weather has followed me, and everyone's just told me, like, <laughs> oh, dude, it's never like this. It's been raining here every yeah. day for the past, like, month. I feel like I'm in the Amazon. Um, <laughs> it also snowed right in Disneyland, now. like, a month ago. Um, yeah. Uh, it's been uh, craziness. But, uh, yeah, there was a tornado. I hope everybody is is A-OK on that neck of the woods. But, yeah, I've lived through a tornado. You've probably lived through a tornado. Have you, like, I've been in, like, a tornado. You pro- you probably have. I have, yes. Uh, I don't remember it, but when I was, uh, when I was a, a wee lad, mm-hmm. and by wee lad, I mean when I was literally an infant gotcha. uh, we lived in kansas city for a short oh, wow. time um and there there was one that blew through it'll happen yeah not not damaging at all but yeah yes uh, i've been in the midwest for my entire life so yeah. that's not a not surprising at all but yeah yeah there, yeah, there was one that happened to me when i was in high school caused like twenty thousand dollars of damage to the house and it was very sp- it was very spooky um but that's a, a discussion for another time noah because we have things to discuss here including um we're it's we we're okay hold okay okay um (laughs) (laughs) let's contextualize we're gonna talk about the damian lindelof thing not like super in depth um but it's it's too big of a story to ignore that and we're gonna kind of lump that in with the patty jenkins situation so we'll get to that in addition to talking about the bad batch as well as the newest episode of the mandalorian Uh, but before we get there noah i have a fun surprise plan for you um, you had asked me a question. You're like, Hey, are you wanting to talk about the Jedi survivor trailer? And, uh, uh, I've got a fun surprise. Oh no. Follow me on Twitter. No way. You saw that I am now a proud owner of a PlayStation five. So wow. It is in my mitts. I managed to save up all of my pennies, shattered that piggy bank, shattered the puffer pig <laughs> piggy bank this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, uh, it's, uh, installing updates and games and stuff like that now. So I haven't officially cracked the seal. I mean, it's, it's uh, alive and, and well, I've just haven't, uh, really gotten a chance to play it, but at, at least one of us will be playing Jedi survivor. <laughs> on Thank, this God. Podcast. Thank God. Thank <laughs> God. Yeah. That's really funny though, that like, I guess my expectations for the future of video games shouldn't be so high up there. Yeah. Because it's like, oh my God, I got the PS5. And it's like, oh, have you played it yet? And you're like, no, I have to wait 18 (laughs) hours for it to install everything just like a normal PlayStation. It's like, oh, hell yeah. Well, it's not necessarily like system updates and stuff like that. I just had... my my PlayStation, I just bought like extended storage for. And so what's nice is like a lot of the games, that, well, all of the games that I have on that extended storage, I literally just plug in that USB drive or the, you know, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, just like the external hard drive, the, the hard yeah, drive, yeah. The external hard drive. I plug that USB hard drive into my PlayStation 5 and I can play all of my PS4 games. Um, oh, wow. Which is really nice. So I don't, you know, there's games that I've, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not a gamer, so I'm still playing The Last of Us, or not The Last of Us, um, Red Dead Redemption 2 and uh, uh, God of War, still the first one, still making my way through those. So at least now I can play it on a PlayStation 5 and, um, you know, just kind of port it over, which is nice. And I downloaded some free games that were on the marketplace, so I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, but it's going to have to wait now because we have a big 
episode today, as I already discussed. Uh, and uh, to answer your question, are we going to be talking about the Jedi Survivor trailer? We could, but man, I don't even want to. I don't even like. It's 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 coming down the pipeline. It's real close. Yeah, yeah, um, it is real close. I, I, there are things to speculate on, and uh, characters from certain eras, and you could freeze frame this and see that, and. I don't even want to spoil the fun for me. I'm so excited for the game. So all of those questions will be very shortly answered uh, from now. Uh, I did see the trailer. Looks great. Looks uh, amazing. Um, and uh, I yeah, fully blame uh, all of those <laughs> wonderful people over at EA for making me spend <laughs> all of this money this morning. Um, Thanks and, a lot, guys. And picking it up. Yeah. So uh, very excited to be eventually playing that when it comes out. But Noah, um, something that we might have to wait a little bit longer for is a new story. Star Wars movie because it just <sighs> broke earlier this week that Damian Lindelof as well as Justin Britt Gibson have exited the Star Wars film that they were pinning leaving Stephen Knight to come in and write uh, uh, this new screenplay or fix their screenplay or tweak some stuff or do something point is Noah the kind of the lead of the story here is Damian Lindelof and Justin Britt Gibson have departed the project uh, all the trades had confirmed. So this is like a real deal Hollywood story. This isn't like scoop tinfoil hat territory. You know, so you heard somebody talking in a bodega. It's like a, a real story now. So um, this had broke recently. And then there was also news recently that Patty Jenkins and her project uh, being Rogue Squadron um, is officially like not really a thing anymore. Um, Kaput. It is. Yeah. yeah. We had kind of heard it was on the back burner indefinitely, but now it seems like it's the project is dead. So uh, leaving the uh, future of star Wars uh, back in the movie theater to be as foggy as it's ever been. Um, so we don't have to talk too long about it. No. In fact, I'm, I might even set a timer to limit us because we have lots of discuss today. <laughs> um, but what's just kind of your immediate reaction uh, to hearing this news? Are you surprised? Are you disappointed? How you feeling? Um, this is the thing is there has almost never not been these kind of issues, uh, recently. So it's not like, it's not like this happens and I'm like, oh my God, you know, everything, everything is chaos and we'll never make it out of this. And you know what? It, it, for the most part, it turns out all right in the end. I am glad that there's another name attached. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that we already kind of have that locked down. Um, I'm only like halfway familiar with Stephen Knight's work. Um, but I know that a lot of people really love Peaky Blinders, which is something that he's worked on. Um, it's funny because I told my, I told my brother the news when you had sent it to me a few days ago. Um, and I was on the phone with my brother and he was like, oh, they should just get George Lucas to write it. Wouldn't that be funny? And I was like, ha ha, yeah, whatever. And then like later in the conversation, we were talking about Peaky Blinders and he was like, you got to watch it. It's so awesome. It's blah, blah, blah. So I think he'll be excited to hear that. But um, I, I just, when it comes to stuff like this, I, I'm not super concerned because it's gonna happen at some point. That's sort of my feeling is it's not like, this isn't a Warner Brothers Batgirl situation, you know, where we've made it all this way and then a studio says, all right, you'll never get it. Throw it in the vault. Burn yeah. every copy. Yeah. You know, that's that's not the point that we're at yet. So I'm not in panic mode. It's just it just seems frustrating from an outside perspective to have the mindset of does Lucasfilm slash Disney know what they want because if you're gonna have somebody like justin brett gibson and damon damon lindelof writing something then you would expect that the the executives that that made that decision would say 
we want you and this is why we want you and then are, you know, disappointed or not satisfied with what they get or maybe the creators aren't satisfied with how they need to do things. It just seems like one of those things that you would hope the kinks get worked out before we get as far as to say, all right, Star Wars Celebration Europe, April is when you're going to be hearing about what is happening. And then yeah. a few short weeks beforehand, they go, uh, yeah, that really fell out, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, so that sucks, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, and that was the news, too. And that's also something we didn't talk about because, you know, the Bad Batch and, and Mando are, like, in full swing right now. And these episodes are, like, two and a half hours long, as it is, you know, <laughs> to talk about all of this. But more so, I was just kind of like, well... If we're going to get news at Celebration, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, because yeah, this is yeah. rumors that we got last year, too, at Celebration. And I'm just like, when the news happens, we'll talk about it. And even beyond that, Noah, now I'm kind of at the point to where I'm like, when I see a trailer for this movie, then I'll <laughs> think it's happening, you know, because up to this point, you're right. Damon Lindelof and uh, Justin Britt Gibson, like, turned in their script, like, I don't know nothing about nothing, Noah, but I would assume <laughs> that as a screenwriter, you're kind of done. Like you just go, okay, here's the script and the director and the studio and whoever will, you know, alter and change things as they please. I imagine it's not going to be like a foundationally different story. It's probably just like, yeah, this beat here, this line here, whatever. It happens all the time with scripts is, um, you know, the director is changing the direction of the story. And I'm just so surprised that it is such a late stage in the game that what happened that these two guys are like, nope, we're done. Like we're out. Like what? Yeah. What broke yeah. it? I, I have no idea um, as far as like, am I nervous and I am I uneasy about this? I'm not uneasy about like this specific project. I'm more of just kind of like what's going on with Lucasfilm to where super, super talented people are coming in and then just leaving very far into development into these projects. Like, is it a studio interference thing? Is it a if it is a studio interference thing, like on what grounds? Because like. Colin Trevorrow in his script, even though there's some ideas that I like in there, there's also some other ideas that I'm just kind of like, that's not foundationally Star Wars to me. Like, I think that that is not necessarily the antithesis, but not just in junction with what I believe this series is about and what I believe that George Lucas felt this series was about. So there's things like that. Maybe that's what Lucasfilm is doing is they're going, hey, yeah, Damon and Justin Gibson, we love these things, don't love these things. And they're like, no, that's a deal breaker for us. We don't really know. So none of this stuff has really been reported. So it sucks. I really like those two guys, and I was very excited to see what they were up to. As far as Stephen Knight, um, I am a bit more familiar with his work, and I will just say it's kind of up in the air. You know, um, uh, screenwriters are able to turn in something that gets turned into a great movie and a bad movie. And sometimes it's not really their control. He's written stuff I've really liked. I really like Locke. Um, I also uh, was a big fan of uh, I was looking at something else. Um, uh, I know a lot of people are big fans of Taboo. And then there's some other stuff I'm just like kind of lukewarm on, like allied the zemeckis movie seventh son the you know the jeff bridges movie and then pond <laughs> sacrifice like there's some things and the girl in the spider's web and then there's movies like serenity which i have heard like is atrocious you know uh oh the other one i was uh, really a big fan of was uh spencer he wrote the uh, film spencer that came out a few years ago which was excellent one of my favorites of the year so it really seems like he uh is 
able to write stuff that is more adult, has heavier themes, is a bit more patient. None of the stuff other than Seventh Son to me is like super overtly genre. Um, he also um, wrote Eastern Promises, which is like obviously adult and uh, about gang violence and a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, the nature of violence and, and everything. So it's up in the air. You know, I, 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 I have a difficult time even getting too invested into his involvement because it's like, who knows how long it's going to take. Whether yeah, no, it's that's true. For him to just dip, whether it's Damon Lindelof, uh, Britt Gibson or Patty Jenkins or whoever, it seems like trouble is afoot at the Circle K, Noah. And I don't know. <laughs> when the next time that we're going to see star Wars in the theater is my a position stays the same as far as like, I want it to be there when it's good and ready. And if Lucasfilm is not confident in the product that they're making, then don't release it. Like I want them to be proud of what they make and that's what we see. And that's the triumphant return to star Wars. But as it's just, you know, taking longer and longer and longer and longer, you just kind of have to wonder, it's like, what's going on over there? No, like what yeah. is going on? I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think we'll never know. I think that's the big thing is the last time we saw something like this was really with Solo, with Phil Lord and Chris Miller stepping out well into production. Yeah. Um, and and those, I mean, that Dirty Laundry was was aired a little bit more publicly, I guess. But that's, you know, yeah. that is the classic, you know, bashing of heads of, of executives and, and creatives. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess it... it it's sad to me that this is probably just one of those things. I mean, you and I are of the same opinion that, you know, when we get it, we'll get it and it's going to be what it is. And that's fine. But I, I just am sad that a lot of these types of situations are typically used as ammunition, uh, sure. you know, to, to, to make a point about the state of Lucasfilm, the state of Disney. Yeah. So, you know, that's the stuff that I want to avoid. I think outside of that, it's just, it it really it really is what it is. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that puts maybe that brings Taika Waititi back on the table as his project. I know that like yeah, we not too long ago were like, I guess Taika Waititi is making the next Star Wars movie. That's for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and then it wasn't. So you know, we've got there's a lot of cogs moving, but at least it seems like. For the most part, Lucasfilm is doing their best to juggle all of the, you know, all of the balls. They're balancing all the plates as best they can. Yeah. A few shatter, but the point is that like they're really they're at least trying, you know. Yeah, I would say and just kind of put a last point on this. As far as I know, I don't think Lucasfilm had come out and said, here's our next Star Wars story. Get excited. Right. It's not like right. they led off a celebration. It was like, this is the project. All of this stuff was like. From what I believe, I could be wrong, but I, my memory serves me well. I think it's all like trader, scoop, Hollywood insider sort of uh, reporting going on here, which is great. Like, that's fine. And I, I am less frustrated by that than I would be if Lucasfilm does come out like they have in years prior, which we've also talked about on the show that Lucasfilm and, or Disney, I think, is instructing people like Kathleen Kennedy specifically to be like, hey, stop announcing stuff, you know? Um, so... 
like just kind of throwing this into the bin of, of projects that have, you know, maybe come and gone to me, that's Hollywood. That stuff kind of, that kind of stuff happens. It's just a different situation when Lucasfilm comes up and says, okay, this is the next thing. Get excited for this. And then that's kind of stripped away from us. You know, I think it's a different situation to where it's like, it's all behind the scenes stuff. It is like you had mentioned, like a publicly airing of dirty laundry kind of situation. It's unfortunate. I like these creators, but Stephen Knight is a talented filmmaker um and i'm excited to see what happens next what direction it's going to be um i guess only time will tell i just want to know when when is the next time i'm going to see a trailer for a star wars movie and will i be retired by then (laughs) (laughs) well if if we are we'll at least be still doing this show exactly and you'll hear it here first (laughs) exactly so star wars celebration is just right around the corner so if we do hear news about films and and all that kind of stuff we're obviously going to be talking about it here Um, but even that i still feel like is a bit of a caveat you know (laughs) yep yep yep. Um, let's go ahead and dive on into something that we definitely can for sure talking about and that is the newest episode of the bad batch titled the tipping point um you and i have been big fans of this new season and this new episode uh is uh certainly gonna lead to hopefully an interesting discussion i'm excited to talk about it but uh what did you think of the newest episode of the bad batch titled tipping point um i've got five words for you garrett i'm ready five words count them this is how you do it. I think that's six. that's six words. <laughs> <laughs> this is do how you, you do. <laughs> this is how you do. Uh, this is how you do Star Wars. Yeah. This is like this episode is sort of everything that we've been talking about of, you know, of bringing together these like just piece by piece little narratives, all these things that lead to that lead to one thing obviously yes that's how you make a convincing and compelling story but more so in the sense that that we have been watching a show that has almost i think it sometimes tricked us into thinking that it's just episodic television and, and what we've talked about for a long time is okay when does this turn into something that is more serialized and i'll tell you this there's a point at this epi- in in this episode where like I I immediately thought, and it's the first time that I've really thought this this entire season so far. There's a point at this episode where I legitimately like thought to myself, are we really like setting up season three here? Because this is what this could be. Um, and I don't think that that's a stretch. I, I really don't because there are things in this episode that have implications beyond just how this season is going to wrap up. And I think that the show is aware of that. I think that we're in a really, really, you know, beyond comfortable. Comfortable is like, if I think of a comfortable episode, I think of Pabu. If I think of like beyond comfortable and like exciting and intriguing and, you know, all the things that make me want to come back next week, um, you know, that's what this episode is. I was thoroughly pleased by how, like how smoothly we were transitioning between A and B plots. I was thoroughly pleased with the, I, I guess the, uh, the confrontation of some ideas and questions that we have asked throughout this season's run being asked of our main characters. Um, it's something that like we've been hoping for for a while and now we have it. And so 
I was I was just a really big fan of this episode. I think it's getting better and better, and I cannot wait for how this leads into the last two episodes, even though realistically this episode does not like cover a whole lot of ground necessarily. Um, it really makes things so much more important moving forward. And I think that's a really strong, a really strong thing in, in this show's favor. I think that you're spot on in that this show and it's pretty like common practice for star Wars animation that it is able to, have a short runtime be these bite-sized episodes, these bite-sized pieces of this larger puzzle, but be jam-packed with ideas and action and heart, uh, as well as pointing us in a direction of this sort of trajectory where we're going narratively. And I think that this season overall has done such a terrific job of this, and this is a great example of an episode that also does that too. I think that this episode is filled with great character moments. Uh, some of the most endearing moments of this entire show that like made me like smile so wide look like a cheshire cat um also has some great moments of tension and action and even a little horror in there as well um i just thought that this episode was so terrific it's kind of like everything that i would want in like the final moments of this uh season um and i think this not to like pit it up against some other shows but i think that a lot of other Star Wars shows could take lessons from shows like The Bad Batch in that you're able to have short run times, but you're able to accomplish so much in those stories. And I don't feel like this really skips on these like you know, intriguing moments of character. And I don't watch these and say, I wish there was a bigger interaction between this, or I wish that this conflict was more developed. I feel like each of these is a enough to satiate me until next week and just continue to be invested in this story. And when this is over, I wasn't like, uh, like, Oh, I guess it's been 20 minutes. Yeah, I guess it's over. It's just like, it feels like a complete, you know, chapter of this story. And I just can't wait to turn to the next, next page. Uh, the season's just been so terrific. It's honestly been like probably one of the strongest in my opinions, like front to back seasons of star Wars television. I think that there was really only one episode this entire season that I wasn't a fan of every other episode I've liked to loved to some of my favorite episodes of star Wars animation. Like it's so, so great. And I just can't wait for this season to you know when all is said and done to have this complete story and although i'm going to miss these characters and can't wait for them to come back in season three just what a an accomplishment this season has been so far it's just been so great i think that that's the probably the biggest thing is is really the word accomplishment um i know i've been updating you uh on the show and off the show um with my dad's journey through this series and through Star Wars animation. Yeah. And um I think I mentioned recently he was out of the country uh for the past couple weeks. Right. And so he had missed um he had missed the outpost and Pabu. Okay. Um and I I talked to him the other day and because he's back now and he was like, uh the outpost, best episode yet. So good. Like 
He was he was over the moon. He was over the moon. If you're gonna tell me and that Rob he, didn't like Pab, uh, Pabu, we're gonna he's gonna catch these hands, Noah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, that's the thing. I have to. I do have to ask him about that because we didn't get a chance to talk about Pabu. Um, you have to update us next me. week. I need to know. Yeah, what he I know. Thinks. <laughs> he he called me uh, when I got when I got off of work today. I was running late getting off of work, and I was like, I got shows to watch. Garrett told me to stay off of Twitter. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Like, I got I got to get home. And he was he like texted me and was like can I call you? And I'm in the middle of like doing 50 on a 25 back home. And I was like, give me a second. You're like, you're like so tech like, in, you know, the racer, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I called him really quickly as soon as I got home. Cause I had to like, I had to put away my jacket. I had to feed the cat. I had to like take care of a couple of things while I'm turning on the TV. And so I called him and I was like really quick, like, what do you need? I'm, I'm about to like, about to get into it. And he was like, you know how I said the outpost was my favorite episode? And I was like, dad, stop. <laughs> and he was like, this is it, man. Like the newest so episode or the newest nice, episode nice. is, I, and I, I think that accomplishment is the best word for this because from what we know of the craft of, of what star Wars, the clone wars has set as a precedent that this show like is firing on all cylinders with this episode. It is nailing every beat that we have set up of what to expect from a show from Lucasfilm and from Dave Filoni specifically. Obviously, I mean, everybody knows that name as like, oh, praise Dave Filoni, all hail the maker. He's the one that saves Star Wars and he's the one that makes good Star Wars and everything that he makes is good. You got to just really watch the whole show to contextualize like, okay, where did we start here? Was there points that were rocky? Yes. Entombed is is rough. Like, but we made it through. And looking back on it, Pabu has recontextualized that episode for me. And this episode, uh, this week's episode, Tipping Point, has really kind of sewn together the pieces that that tie the season together in, in a way that I think is so so admirable and astonishing that we can just get to this point in storytelling that like we we talked about it with the first season that it's it's wild to me that not everyone is talking about this show mm-hmm. like of course not everyone is talking about this show but i watch this episode i watch an episode like this and i'm like why is not everyone talking about this show? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's just how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw some people uh, t- today online. I'm also looking at I- IMDb right now and people, uh, Pabu is, has a 6.6 out of 10. You guys are a bunch of scrubs. Oh, like, well, it's, come on. It's, it's like the, I would say the third lowest episode of the season. What a bunch of scrubs. It was such a great episode. Why do you want the bad match to be happy? It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, I, I, I think that, yeah, this show, I, I've seen some people uh, today, especially, like really giving it its flowers um, and really praising this show, uh, not in comparison to some other shows happening right now, but just been in like some people saying, and I would say I fit into this camp somewhat and we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about this episode of just kind of like the Mandalorian isn't really like filling up my star Wars cup right now. Um, it's, it's, it is what it is, and there are some episodes that I like more than others, um, but to me, The Bad Batch is the thing that is consistently impressing me and consistently like replenishing my love of Star Wars. Not that it's depleted ever, but just is really, I think, hammering why I love this series so much and like the power of this series, and yeah, it's so great. You mentioned Dave Filoni, who obviously like uh, created the series and developed the series, but also want to shout out uh, Brad Rao and Saul Ruiz, uh, the director, yeah. uh, the supervising director, and then the director of the episode, uh, respectively. So uh, shout out both of them, as well as Matt uh, Mach- 
Chinovitz, I believe is the name, uh, who is the story editor as well as the writer of this episode. So just terrific work all around. Uh, let's go ahead and dive on into the episode, Noah. Uh, before we do that, let's give our rating uh, out of our thumbs. Where are you at? Mine are firmly up. Two th- firm, firm thumbs up. Firmly, yeah, firmly up, both thumbs. Two erect uh, thumbs. I'm- I'm not I'm not punching anybody with my with my fists, you know, I'm not like not doing jumping jacks or anything, but I am I'm I'm holding up my thumbs as if I was holding up a a, a knife and a fork at a dinner table like oh, I I'm ready I, for I'm ready good, for the next meal, good, you know. That, yeah, that's a good like visual analogy. I'm I'm with you there. I'm right I'm right across the table with you. We're about to dive I'll on I'll slam in. them on the table just to <laughs> let everybody know that it's time to eat. <laughs> Let's go ahead uh, and gorge ourselves, Noah. The uh, episode begins uh with Rex's team, which now includes Echo, Fireball, and Gregor. Uh, familiar face was really happy to see them again uh hijacking a prisoner transport ship where clones are being shipped to an unknown location um among the prisoners is hauser the clone who worked with uh senator ornfrey ta as well as sham sandula in season one uh the episode devil's deal um really cool to see that it was also just like the way that this squad is introduced i don't know if they have a name yet but the way that they were introduced was just really fun because like it's the episode begins from the perspective of the Imperials and, you know, they're launching and a ship comes in and starts blasting at him. And then it cuts to the inside of the ship and it's Gregor being like, well, we got their attention now. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> it's just so great. It's very, it's very last Jedi. Yeah. Um, Super you know, rebels oh, too. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. Really fun to be reunited with this group. And uh, yeah, there's, I, I love all of these guys. I was just very excited. Like the fact that we get to see the machinations of things that I kind of want the batch to, to, to be a part of and something that I've been wanting to you, we have been wanting to see since season one is kind of like this group of clones going out, trying to help other clones and uh, to see that like the kind of the beginning of that was really cool. And then knowing where it eventually leads with rebels, even though poor Gregor doesn't uh, make it out of that show, but uh, mm. such good stuff um, on the bridge. Echo wants to know where they were taking the clones uh, the Imperial officer that he is questioning uses a suicide shocker to kill himself, which is, the same thing that we saw in the clone bounty hunter from earlier in the season as well as the mandalorian uh some some fans had pointed that out is that piece of tech we see that in um season two the the guy that bo katan is interrogating it's like the you know electronic cyanide which i, I think yes. is really really cool so espionage ooh, ooh very spy <laughs> very thrillery um on tantus crosshair is taken to a room where he is questioned by uh emery uh who cautions crosshair to cooperate with dr hemlock um, he wants Crosshair to tell him how to find Clone Force 99 and Omega. Dr. Hemlock uh, is just like so mustache twirly and just like a bad guy. Uh, Jimmy mm-hmm. Simps- uh, Simpson is the Jimmy actor Simpson, yep. that portrays him. And it's so great. Like he is just so unnerving and creepy, but like over the top, like kind of in the best way. Like it's so good. We don't get enough <laughs> of this. We don't get enough of, of characters like that. Yeah. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the villains that we get are stoic and, you know, and big puff out their chest and they say, you know, really long words. Guy and last speak in a week British accent. or in the outpost, oh, not guy, not... guy in the outpost. I'm looking at you. Sucks. And also uh, the the guy, the Imperial officer that that uh, uses the suicide shocker as well. Yeah. Um, as soon as the episode started, he pronounces the word schedule, uh, schedule. And I was like, oh, this guy's the worst, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's a lot of those type. Um, so we don't get a lot of like 
mad scientists, yeah. evil doctors. Uh, so I'm like really loving the character of so Hemlock. Good. Yeah. I really hope that that extends into season three. This is some of the stuff that I'm like, is, are we going to get more of this? Can we get more of this please? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think we're definitely going to be getting more of him. Uh, Crosshair refuses to help Hemlock and give him the information that he asks for. Uh, and the doctor sends in an interrogator droid uh, with like the syringe on the side. This, you know, the same one that we see in a new hope and as well as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's probably like a Wikipedia thing, but I have to know like what's in that thing. You know, is it like a truth serum? Uh, is it just painful? Why does a robot need to inject it? Why can't like a human inject it? You know, it seems like such a fuss for something so simple like a syringe, you know, or is it just because, you know, yeah. it was a new, a I, new always, hope. <laughs> I always thought that like, because I'm thinking of like the Empire Strikes Back and when Han is being interrogated and yeah. it, it's very like. You know, the doors close and you just hear a lot of like screaming. Yeah. Ow, yeah. Ah, you know, like so it makes me think of like maybe it's a zapper, you know, but we know that it's we know that it's a syringe. Yeah. Um, and it's gotta it's gotta smart. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That'd be an interesting little like tidbit of information, I guess. Oh my god. <laughs> uh oh. Wikipedia, uh, of course, is the uh the the, the one stop shop for all this information. Wow, this is really amazing. Um the droid was generally successful in getting information from prisoners using elaborate and scientific torture method. First it would inject the prisoner with a mentally disabling chemical that would decrease the pain threshold while also forcing the subject to remain conscious. Um, ITO would do a read on the body, detecting the most sensitive areas like their genitals, joints, oh. neck, and many other less obvious body parts. Don't know about you. Pretty obvious to me. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, because, you know, we, we see... <laughs> we see the droid inject crosshair in the neck. Yeah. You know, but like now I'm thinking if, with, if with we should Han, have injected him in the like, wang is what you're saying. Well, that's the thing with, with Han that like the doors close and he's just like, yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> they just got him right in the beater. <laughs> Get him right in the carbonite. Uh, yeah, that's the, Ouch. yeah, that seems, uh, I, I feel like you don't need a droid for that. I imagine that's uh yeah, pretty, pretty cut and dry there. But, um, that's uh, really funny. Um, I, yeah. Uh, now so, you know. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. And then uh, Crosshair certainly uh, knows. Um, back on Coruscant, we see that Hauser, who is talking to Senator Chuchi, which was uh, a great return. I was very glad that they were in this episode as well, just for a little bit, though. Um, telling her how the clones are being transported off world and never return. Um, Echo was able to retrieve some heavily encrypted data, um, which he needs the Bad Batch's help. Um, because only tech is uh, able to decode it, um, which is it's funny how like the episode has it because he's like, I think I've got a friend who's able to like, help <laughs> us out. And I was like, hell yeah, it's tech. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Like we've we've talked about like, OK, how do we naturally bring back Echo uh, into the, you know, into a, in, an episode? Yeah. Uh, this is this is exactly how you do it, and it's not like oh, I got an impossible mission, and I need, need the a, best I need of the a, best. He's just like I, I just, he's like I need a big nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just like uh, I actually like I could I know a guy that could actually do this lickety split. Yeah. Um. It's, so it's very I like that. That's so it's so much more natural than like. Hey boys, you up for a mission? <laughs> you know, which I'm not saying that that's bad. Not yeah. saying that that's bad. You've seen but like, it is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm glad that there's like a practical reason while they're able to uh, come back, uh, which is really really great. Uh, but Emery, um, who halts Crosshair's torture, fearing that he will die because of the pain, um, uh, kind of. 
pauses a little bit, lets, lets him catch his breath, and boy does he. He grabs a blaster, kills the stormtroopers, and orders him or orders her to release him, then sending her uh, and takes her access card and stumbles his way to the control panel. Um, I love that. Something that we've seen a lot in this show is like the batch as well as others have like made it a real conscious point to like stun their enemies and like they yeah. just kind of move on from there. But Crosshair's playing for keeps, man. Like he just blasts <laughs> these guys just point blank, just kills them immediately. And I was like, it's good to see that Crosshair hasn't lost his edge, you know? See, and I think it's so interesting that it, it's intentional that he stuns Emery in the sense that like he's not a he's not just a cold-blooded killer yeah. it's more calculated than that but you know when it comes to stormtroopers that are conscripts for the empire that are you know yeah taking his place uh in his own existence not just taking his job but like you know they're yeah. they're replacing him uh and his brothers everyone like him that's like yeah you, you guys are you guys are toast. Sorry about it. Yeah, I mean, I have to know, like, what is the importance of Emery to this that, like, if Crosshair was to kill her, you know, uh, beyond just like the moral implications of that, like, what do they bring that would be irreplaceable, for example? Or is Dr. Hemlock kind of the brains of all of this, you know, because uh, Emery Carr, like, we don't really know the Wikipedia page has four lines of text uh, beyond like the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff. So we don't really know anything about like, you know what I mean? Like, are they the brains behind all of this? Because Hemlock really seems to be kind of the driving force behind a lot of this. So if Crosshair was to kill them, you know, like, is that a, is that a big loss? I have to know. Well, I, I think that there's something to be said about her, I guess. I mean, graciousness is maybe a, a strong word for yeah. somebody in the empire, but knowing that she has backed off of torturing him at a certain point and said like, all right, that's enough. Like that, you know, it's, that's, yeah. that's over. That's like not necessary. Um, versus someone like Hemlock who, you know, has been really forward about it. And she, on the other hand, is more saying, you know, like, okay, well, you better cooperate because if you don't, it's going to be bad for you. Yeah. But that's not like a threat. It's more of a warning. So maybe there's there's that element to it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, there's also like, because they tell Crosshair, it's like, hey, if you tell us the information that we like, we'll let you go. You know, you can get off scot-free. And I just have to think that Crosshair is not a dumb character. He's not really going to contemplate this and be like, well, like, I could have a life, you know. It's like the, he, I think right. he knows the Empire isn't going to let him go. So I feel like there has to be a part of him that is like wanting to alert the batch which he does he kind of sends out a partial bit of a transmission referred to as plan 88 uh the seeker he says you have to hide there after and then he gets uh cut off uh because he is uh stunned but i or uh, uh he is like incapacitated by this like noxious gas kind of situation but i have to imagine that he's like well I could actually get out of this alive if the the batch is able to help me. But if I just trust the Empire and give them the information that they want that he also doesn't have, you know, mind you, I, I yeah. think he is aware that it's probably not going to go well for him, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is there there's there's something really great being set up here about sort of the um, the extermination of clones, if you want to call it that. Um, cause again, I was having a conversation with my dad about, you know, he was asking like, why, why would the rebellion not just have all the clones that like left the empire, like built into their army yeah. 
And, you know, I was like, well, there's a couple of reasons, but the fact that this show is somewhat setting up a, you know, inherent distrust and, and inability to further utilize the clones through the empire, that there is that, like, that piece of it where Crosshair knows that he is not like he is next on the chopping block. Yeah. His life is not, is not a uh, valued as a clone yeah. and that's it. So it's very interesting that to, to watch where his loyalties are. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about his motivation being loyalty and service. Um, and so I, I, there's some interesting stuff we can get to it when we get to it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, as we had mentioned, uh, this toxic gas is uh, taking uh, hold of Crosshair, kind of slowly knocking him out. Something that we learned that Hemlock like created himself and he is like immune to uh, because of it, which I thought was like super silly and just like really fun <laughs> in a great way. He's like, oh, that's a shame. Oh, the gas is getting to you. That's weird. Too bad I'm immune. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, just again, like big evil scientist, like mad scientist kind of energy. Uh, I was going to say the biggest mad scientist thing is to like is to deploy a a weapon or employ some use of whatever like a poison or whatever yeah right and and then your line is you like it yeah (laughs) (laughs) like as oh that gas you like it yeah Yeah. i made it myself yeah so great (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, yeah. like oh grow up guy that's so funny i I need a i need a three and three quarter figure of dr hemlock who like comes with (laughs) like a poison gas or something like that i need it i need it Uh, with poison gas immunity action which is like a big fart cloud or something like that nice Uh, uh, back on Pabu, Noah, um, Hunter is still unsure if they will stay permanently, um, although they all seem happy. Wrecker is like running around and he's helping out. He's described as like an integral part of the community. They all seem like they're having a great time. I kind of want them to just stay in this forever. And just to be happy, Noah, because uh, they just like have a they just seem to be having a great time and really uh, relaxing all of this. And we also get like a really nice moment of Tech, who is teaching Omega to fly, which is so great. Like she's seems to be like pretty good with it, a little reckless, but I love that she's like fearless. Like she's not unsure of herself. Uh, Tech is really the one who's like a little not like scared per se, but he's a, he seems to be the more nervous between the two of them. She's like, oh, yeah, I got this. This is easy. Yeah, I I love the uh, the the little callback to uh, pull up, Anakin. Yeah, <laughs> pull up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she she's just you know she's loving it. Uh, I I do have to say. For any listener out there who's not on board with Omega yet, after a season and almost uh, almost another full season, yeah, just come on! Like you can't watch this episode and not be like, oh, yeah, I love her. I love her and I want her to be happy and everything that she wants. Yeah. I hope she gets it. Yeah. And uh, a key contributor to that is the moment that I kind of hinted at earlier is when Echo comes in the transmission um, and uh, Omega's reaction to, to him arriving is like so endearing and just so sweet and exciting and i felt the same way nearly like moved me to tears noah like it's so so sweet like i might rewatch this entire episode just to get to that moment it was so great (laughs) (laughs) it's really good Uh, again like i these are the kind of episodes that i love conversating about and it's it is difficult to hear that you know that the episode Pabu is rocking a, what was it? 6.6 on IMDb. Yeah. Because that, that just tells me that, you know, that there is a majority of people that are only looking for one thing from star Wars, but 
like we had talked about last week, a lot of Pabu is some of the most Star Wars stuff that I think that you can come up with. Mm -hmm. And seeing the crew on Pabu kind of doing their part, it's an interesting little piece because my thought was, it's kind of a cynical thought. It's not, I don't think it's worth really spending a lot of time on, but my cynical thought was, what are they going to do? They're soldiers. Like, uh-huh. how are they going to integrate themselves into this community? And what does that look like? And we kind of see it perfectly. I, I think that it's displayed really well that like, not that they have like, that they have responsibilities all the time. And there's, you know, a certain job for them because they are, you know, clone force 99, mm-hmm. but more importantly that they're just happy there. And it's, I just think that that's hugely important. Yeah. 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 And we see like a really great hug between, uh, Omega and echo. And it's just like, so sweet, so sweet. Um, and yeah, I think it's like, it'd be disappointing for a lot of people to be like, Oh, not much happens in this episode. It's a little quieter. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's the point, man. Like we had mentioned, it's such a great, like, sour and then sweet kind of turn from the outpost which is like depressing and heavy but so great and then pabu which is like such the opposite of that and intentionally so with its themes because the outpost being about like isolation and you know not being on a team with allies and people who aren't willing to sacrifice themselves for you and only see this sort of bottom line. And then the opposite side of that, of like community and togetherness and like, yeah, some people could turn their nose up and say, it's like a little childish. This is a made for, you know, young people like children included like television program, obviously with dark moments, but um, for, you know, like George said, this is made for 12 year olds. And I think that this does a great job in like not talking down to the audience, but and delivering all of this in like a compelling and an emotional way. And yeah, seeing all these characters reunite was just so, so great. Um, we, yeah. did, we see uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, who's on a phone call with, uh, uh, with um, Dr. Hemlock, uh, speaking with him about his uh, kind of unsureness about Tantus. And something that I loved about this is we see Hemlock kind of like take Tarkin to task a little bit. Like he really is like standing up to him in a way that we don't see very often. Cause Tarkin is painted as like this uber powerful character who even has Vader under his thumb in a way. And for, uh, for him to kind of come to verbal blows a little bit with Dr. Hemlock, um, I thought was, was really fascinating. I, I, I feel like he, uh, uh, him and, um, uh, Krennic would, would be good friends. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the thing is, it is very interesting the political side of this conversation um, that Hemlock, you know, is basically, I guess he's still respected as a political force, you yeah. know, um, which is interesting knowing that that this operation is described as clandestine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love that there is a political aspect to the Empire once you get high up enough. Um, and Tarkin is the perfect representation for that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And we do learn a little bit more about um, Hemlock because Tech is able to decrypt Echo's data, discovering that the ship was part of the advanced science division led by Hemlock. Um, and the doctor is revealed to have been expelled from the Republic due to his unorthodox methods. Um, and he also learns that Crosshair is one of the doctor's prisoners and who is the person that they received the transmission from, uh, being, of course, Plan 88, Noah. 
Um, they are all concerned uh, because Crosshair, um, you know, has not been the most trustworthy person in the past. So they're kind of left with this question of should we shouldn't we like uh, trust this intel that he's uh, given to us? Uh, then cutting back to Crosshair, who is still trapped on this table. Um, Hemlock is still demanding information about Omega, but Crosshair refuses and his torture begins again. And that's where the episode leaves us. It's not like a super plot heavy episode. It's not real complicated with tons of twists and turns. I think it's really setting up what we can expect in future episodes. It's a short episode, but I just thought it was jam packed with just tons of great stuff. That's the thing. I was really surprised when it ended in the sense that not that like, not that I was surprised that we didn't make any, anything, you know, happen or make any progress, but more so that like, we have really, you know, we spent all that time really developing what to expect next week, which is not something that we always have the uh, the yeah. luxury of with a with a series that's formatted like this. Mm-hmm. And I I couldn't be happier about it. Really, I think this is perfect. I know next week is going to be big, um, and and that's I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, what a great episode. Uh, Again, just consistently impressed with like the level of quality that I think that the show is able to reach. And if you guys aren't watching The Bad Batch, you're missing out, man. You're missing out on just not just this, but like Star Wars animation as a whole. So, so great. So great, Noah. Yeah, there's I, I think that there's a larger conversation to be had once this once the show wraps up to really dive into, you know, what is it that draws people away? What is it that draws people to it? Um, because I think this show really highlights some of the best parts of of Star Wars, really. I agree. Also developing on things that we already know and love, like the prequels and also The Mandalorian, which had a new episode uh, titled The Foundling. Um, you and I have been a little hot and cold on this show in general, but especially this season. I'm excited to dive on into our thoughts of the newest episode. Um, you and I try to work through some stuff last week, but you know, in in the spirit of our show, try to find the good, try to find the things that we like. Uh, you know, come to terms with the things that we don't, but just be honest about how we're feeling. But uh, what'd you feel about the newest episode of The Mandalorian, titled "The Foundling"? Well, if we're if we're speaking in terms of hot and cold. I'll say I started the episode at a nice lukewarm and uh, continued for a little bit until uh, I got very cold and then uh, and then a little bit warmer and then really hot and then back to lukewarm. Uh, (laughs) So quite a journey of temperature here for this episode. If that, if that tells you anything, I think that there are some parts of this episode that are really great, not just for their fan service that they provide uh, and the meaning that they have as an audience member. But I think that overall story-wise there's, uh, there's a little bit of lack right now. Um, I, I think that, Development in terms of like setting and a few character development things, we are like really strong there, but it just doesn't have the room to spread out in a way that like is constantly frustrating. I feel like we're butting up against a wall anytime we make a little bit of progress there, um, which is, you know, we'll have to see how things pan out. Um, I don't think that this. I don't think that it's impacted really by the runtime of this episode. I almost didn't notice that it was very short um, because a lot does happen in a short span of time. 
I just think that with the way that this show is developing, I am I'm drawn back time and time again to the worry that I don't know if we fully know where we're going. And I don't I I I know that we do. Like I deep down I know that we do. But I don't love not being clued in as to what I can expect or what I can predict or even what I would hope would happen. I have no clue. Like I have no expectations. I have no no clue what I hope will happen for the last half of this season because I don't know what the antagonizing forces are. What are we trying to accomplish at this point? I don't know. We just haven't we just haven't gotten there yet. And it's it's a weird place to be in, kind of like this limbo. But I think all in all, there are some really great things in this episode. And I really have to give my hand to Carl Weathers for a, a solid episode. A solid episode direct directorial wise. By all means, I think it's pretty good, you know? Yeah. I gotta tell you, Noah. <clears throat> so as I do, watched the episode last night and was excited to watch it. Yeah, despite my kind of shortcomings, uh, you know, that I feel like the show has. And then when it ended, I was just kind of like, "All right," you know. And then I went to bed and was just like sitting in bed thinking about the episode and just like literally was tossing and turning, like thinking about the episode. <laughs> uh, not quite losing sleep or anything, but just kind of thinking of like. How do I feel about the show? What do I want from this show? What is this show even like? It, it, am I butting up against the show because of what I want it to be or what I think it could be rather than what it is like and really trying to kind of t come to terms with what I think that the show is. And I think it's unfortunate and I'm seeing a lot of other people feel like a similar way. Um, I, I don't feel like it's just an echo chamber thing um, on I'm just again looking at IMDb which isn't the end all be all I totally understand that but um, compared to other seasons of this show um, you know the the first episode of the season um, and then last week's episode are like some of the lower rated shows of this entire or lowest rated episodes of the entire show chapter 18 the minds of Mandalore which you and I really enjoyed uh, is is quite high and then this is like this episode's pretty encompassing with what we get but I think that this show just continues to be just so fine it continues to be just like it's what it is and it, it, again, it kind of rarely blows me away, which has kind of become like the standard of the show is I think it's just fine. I think it's I think it's I understand why a lot of people really love this show. I just I have not gotten to that point to where I am able to week to week in this episode and go ah, hot damn what a good episode like, yeah, like I am with the Bad Batch each week like I did with Andor and I don't say that to say that this show is better or worse than those shows or to say that Andor does things that this show, you know, tries to do but fails or Andor, they're apples and oranges. Uh, I say that in the Bad Batch and Andor are completely different shows. The point is when the credits start to roll on both of those shows, I'm left with this feeling of like, mm, another great episode, like can't wait yeah. for next week. Yeah. And each episode with this show, other than Minds of Mandalore have just been kind of like okay you know and that's it and the episode ends and i kind of move on i think that this episode has good moments of character in it some good moments of character i think there's potential for great moments of character that i think that this show lacks there's like a surprising lack of conflict in this episode there's things that could these characters could or should in my eyes 
be butting up against with one another. And I think that would increase the drama. I think that would increase like the personal stakes for some of these characters. I think that there are conversations that these characters ought to be having that are not being had. And it's exchanged for something that is not like completely devoid of meaning. We're going to talk about it. And if I'm being completely honest and me, like writing up the show notes for this episode, I found myself liking it a touch more. I was to believe it or not a little bit more negative on this episode coming into this, but all that to be said, I think that there is such great potential with what we have here and it's not fulfilled in my eyes on a storytelling level as far as like the narrative, a lot of the dialogue or lack thereof with these characters, as well as the fact that I think that this episode, as well as last week's episode, continue to be the worst that the show has ever looked like yeah, this yeah. episode is Easily. ugly. Like I, I know a lot of VFX artists work tirelessly and thanklessly on these episodes and are probably not given the time and are probably constricted and are so talented and do their best so i don't blame this on blame it on them at all i just look at the final product and i just go wow that doesn't look great like so many parts of this episode it ranges from little stuff like character animations um that we'll talk about to big stuff like characters flying around on green screen and i just look at that and go wow like that is not great it looks about as good as 2002 attack of the clones uh, that's not a dig on attack <laughs> of the clones i'm just saying that a show that came our movie that came out 20 years ago this movie is about on par with you know um and it's it's disappointing i i i love this brand and star wars so much and i i am frustrated that each week i don't and disappointed, you know, and saddened most of all that like on each week, this thing that is the most popular Star Wars thing right now is not blowing me away week to week. Like you had said, those moments when you were hot, I was right there. I was like, I love what it meant for these characters. I love what it meant for this person. It's such a great, great moment. But everything surrounding it is just so all right. You know that I it. Hopefully it makes for an interesting conversation. You seem to like this episode more. So this might be an opportunity for you to like really, you know, hype me up and enjoy it. I don't dislike or hate this episode. It's just, I, I just feel a little burnt out of the sense of like another episode of the Mandalorian and another week of me just being like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> it's disappointing. <laughs> oh, Garrett. Sorry. Oh, Garrett. Yeah. You've fallen right into my trap. <laughs> Did you feel I the same purposely, way? I purposely made my reaction just a touch more positive because I know that my cynical side can get the best of me. But Garrett, this episode frustrated me to my core. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm here's not, not to say like, yes, let's crap on the Mandalorian for an hour. That's not that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to. Yeah. That's the thing is, is I. <sighs> I, I you said something that kind of that kind of sparked something in me that you're right that this is the most popular show the this is the most popular Star Wars show it's the most popular I, Star Wars um, thing going on yes, right now absolutely yeah I would I'd be curious to see what that actually looks like in numbers because I know for Andor that was a big thing that people were obsessed with the fact that you know nobody's watching Andor nobody's watching Obi Wan and and you know Star Wars is dead and all this. So I'd be curious to see about the Mandalorian, but I think I'm, a, I'm on a, a very similar page. Just when I come away from an episode, watching an episode of the Mandalorian and knowing that the most popular thing is what most people are seeing. And it's, it's just stuff that's being pumped out 
at this at this really disappointing pace of wow like this is really what this is what we are giving to 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 people that are casual fans of Star Wars and asking them to you know to really you know put their faith in something like this they're going to they're going to stake their claim on a show that is you know that is boring at like at best it is boring most of the time um it and like i said before i think the the biggest thing for me is that it really lacks direction and and that's frustrating for me to watch as somebody that has gone from show to show episode one of a show whether it's something like rebels or andor where you watch this thing and and you have this full picture of what you're being told in terms of you know in terms of here's what we are trying to achieve with this and i think with i think with the mandalorian we've devolved to a state of you know and next week is going to be so exciting you're just going to forget about last week you know and and i feel like we're just in the wrong place as as a star wars show um so i don't know i mean like you said there are some hot moments in this episode and the frustrating thing is that it is mostly fan service. Um, I guess fan service is not the best word that I'd like to use. Yeah, well, um, we can we can put a pin in like the fan service thing specifically because I, yes. I think it's it, it's a smart direction to talk about. But we can talk about like what that means because I, I think that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. Typically, yeah. like in a derogatory sense or a negative sense, I I don't think it's inherently negative. I think there's a lot of great stuff, even some of my favorite stuff that is fan servicey, and we will get to that. But yeah, um, I, I don't. Yeah, I, were you were you finished making your point? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't mean it, to cut you off. No, no, I I, I guess you know. Because a lot of a lot of the things that frustrate me are things that we can talk about specifically when we get there. Granted, the story wraps itself up pretty swiftly, um, and I think that my my yeah. main issue is is a lot of the, I, I guess the the setup and the um, just the, the the nature that this story progresses uh, and again progresses in and of itself in ref- in reference to this is kind of a an oxymoron um because i don't think we progress very much but w- that's the thing we'll get to that so i'm i'm done with my point all right let's go ahead and dive on into the uh, spoiler filled thoughts on this episode uh, before we do let's let's get our verdict out of the way for me i'm at a thumbs down and then a sideways thumb like it's i don't think that this is like a terrible episode i don't look at this and i'm like god they should be embarrassed i just look at this and i'm like this show costs $15 million an episode, about the same as Andor, which looked spectacular, is a lesser budget than The Last of Us, which consistently looked movie quality and amazing. Again, it's completely different tone-wise. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I just mean is this should it's the biggest brand in the world i think it should look great uh i think star wars should push the bounds of you know the boundaries of visual effects and instead i look at this and i'm like i know how that shot was made that was shot on the volume that's green screen like that compositing is not great on that one i feel like it looks fabricated um i don't have the same frustrations with you as as much generally as far as like where are we going with this i kind of feel like i know where we're going with this i just think that there are this is the shortest episode of the season. It's also the halfway point of the season. So technically yes. this is the mid season finale. And I just mm-hmm. think that we should be at this point to where I'm like, Oh man, this makes for an interesting conflict, especially where the episode ends last week. And then it's just like not there. 
you know like the fact that the conflict in this episode is so like cut and dry there's like no character conflict between one another there's no interesting conversations to be had in this episode it's like mostly action i was just kind of like all right you know again i'm disappointed i'm not surprised in a, unfortunately the show just doesn't have a grip on me and uh until it does i'm just gonna have to be at like this kind of ambivalent just like i guess you know sideways thumb thumbs down for me yeah yeah and i i think you're right i know I've said a lot that I'm frustrated with not knowing where we're going. It's a difficult thing to kind of phrase as we move along. I think I think my biggest thing overall is that this show feels like it gets in its own way. Yeah. Um, and I hate to watch that happen. That's that's my frustration is that yeah. I hate to watch it get in its own way. Yeah. Um, so for me, I would say I would say one thumb down, one sideways thumb. But really what it is, is I'm trying to keep my thumb sideways to not care uh, but somebody tied a, a, a lead brick to my thumb <laughs> and it's pulling it down. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Like I'll, I'll put my thumb down. Like I know I like, I kind of want to, but like, I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, that's where I'm at right yeah. now is somebody taped yeah. a lead, a lead brick to my thumb. I'm trying to figure out who it is because yeah. as soon as I find them, they're going to get an earful. And, that's me. And I think, you know, to clarify not to clarify or put words in your mouth for, I think what I've heard you talk about in weeks prior, I think for you, it's not like you don't understand how TV works. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. oh, there. this is one piece and like of this puzzle. And I, by looking at this one piece, I can't see the whole puzzle. It's like, yeah, that's not how puzzles work. I don't think it's that. I think it's it's also not like reading one chapter of a book and be like this, the whole story isn't here. I think it's more reading a chapter of a book and it just feeling kind of aimless or like, where are we going with this? Like, yeah, the trajectory yeah. isn't quite clear. I think, I think contrast to where you, what you think, I, I feel like I understand generally where this is going. I just feel like, I feel like this is a road trip and it's, the the opposite of the adage of like it's not the destination it's the journey and i'm like <laughs> i feel like we're all destination right now and we're blowing past all of these like things that we could be seeing along the way you know it's like going yeah. on a road trip and with your parents and you're like oh what's that over there it's like no we gotta be there at a specific time we can't go look <laughs> at any landmark or any restaurant or rest stop or anything you know hey man i prefer to drive that's why i don't fly you know yeah yeah oh my gosh so let's go ahead and dive on into the episode so to be clear, you know, blanket, I think you and I want to enjoy the show, want to talk about what we love. We yes. love Star Wars. We we don't go any of these like arms crossed wanting to hate things. So, uh, yeah, you and I will we'll make a, pre a pack. No, you and I will try to find the stuff that we really like, try to be honest about what doesn't work for us uh, and then just move on from there. But the, you have uh, my word, Garrett. Yes. <laughs> and your word is your bond. Uh, the episode <laughs> begins with Bo-Katan now having joined the Mandalorian covert as she watches each each member training with her various weapons. And the first thing I don't like about... No, I'm just kidding. Um, nice. <laughs> the episode does begin, and it's not like a great start to the episode that I rewound, and you might not have noticed it. I haven't seen anybody else talk about it on Twitter, but listener, if, if, if you have the opportunity, if you're not like driving and listening to this, pull up the episode. I encourage you to do the same. No, not right now, but like later. Yeah, yeah. On the left-hand side of the screen, there are two Mandalorian boys you know and they're like <laughs> shooting and training with their blasters and stuff like that and the animation on these guys is atrocious they look like video game characters they look like oh, no it's not like the modeling or anything like that or the lighting it's not like they look shitty but it's like the way they move they look like halo 2 like 
Like it's Good it's Lord. so the the way that they move in mo- this is a you know an audio <laughs> it's an oral format of a of an episode so you can't like see what I'm doing but like they look like Halo two characters like if you ever played like Halo multiplayer like you look at your oh, friend yeah. who's like spinning in a circle they're like it's like a similar <laughs> animation to where they're just so rigid and just like point shoot shoot over here shoot shoot it's like it's so inorganic i don't know it's it's the definition of like you know pedantic but it was just the first thing it's literally the first moment of this episode and i went oh well that doesn't look very good (laughs) (laughs) well uh unfortunately for you garrett uh i am pulling it up right now (laughs) my wife i can handle it let's Um, see but but i i do think you know there's a there's something about this that like I, I I just I don't know I we like we joked about it a little bit um at the I think it was it's the first episode where they're like they're all hanging out on the beach they're having a beach party and uh and then all of a sudden you know a big big monster oh uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that and, for sure and, <laughs> that's the thing is like uh, they, it's it opens here and I'm like Boy, these guys better hope there's no big monster or anything that yeah. comes out of friggin' nowhere. They're, they're training, and you might as well hear one of them say, like, oh, well, not a beautiful day. And thank God there's no monsters around. <laughs> <laughs> I just, okay, because obviously we'll get to it, but I feel like I, if I don't say this right now, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. Um, and by lose it, I mean, like, it's going to leave my mind, not like, like I'm lose gonna, your sanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, but uh, the big thing here is like you like i foreshadowed and you also said uh a big monster shows up um eventually but what what's frustrating for me is that this show just does this thing over and over and over where it's something and then suddenly yeah and i freaking hate it <laughs> and i actually watched something recently um one of the creators of south park did a lecture yeah on, we've talked like, about it on, on the show before yeah i've yes, talked about that specific uh, talk before yeah right um where you know you have your your points and if you if you have to connect them with and then then you are not writing something that is well formatted your points should be connected by but or therefore mm-hmm. and just throughout the course of this episode, I'll touch on it when we can, but throughout the course of this episode, there is nothing that happens by consequence. Nothing that happens by consequence. And I do not like it. It does not make for a compelling story. And I think that it is, I really hate saying this, but it feels lazy. I hate saying that because I know that I know how much work goes into this, but it's, it's hard to watch knowing that we've seen much better. And I'm not not comparing it to anything in specific. I'm just saying from a limited series that can do these things, we just know how it works yeah. to see it well done. I think you know? I, I will say like, I, I think a lot of people use that oh my goodness that is horrible you see what i'm saying you finally got it you finally got it (laughs) the two guys on the left yeah (laughs) they really are just clicking and rotating that 3d model that is rough i know right oh my word again i know people work really hard on it super pedantic it's like a second long thing but it's the first thing in this episode no i could not talk about it (laughs) anyway i think a lot of uh, people like use that word a lot of like lazy where i think they mean more just not creative you know it's not yeah yeah 
not a lack of effort. It's not, I don't think Dave and John are sitting down with at their keyboard and go, hmm, I want to get to this point. I guess a big monster comes up. Like, I don't think it's right. that. I think right. it's just kind of like, it's just not as creative of a choice. We'll get to that, yeah. that part because I think it's a fair uh, point to make. But um, before we get there, we see that the Mandalorian covert is training with various weapons and tools. We get to see the, the young people being taught how to use their weapons, which I thought was great. Like, this episode is like a really thorough exploration of Mandalorian culture and like how that permeates to the next generation, which I think is super relevant to the themes of this episode. Um, and we see like, Rogu kind of off by himself, like playing with these like crustacean creatures. And then Din goes over to him and he's like, well, if you wish to be a Mandalorian, then you need to learn to fight like one. And he kind of like inserts him into this duel with the same family that we saw at the beginning of the season, um, later revealed to be Paz Vizsla's son, Ragnar. Um, and we see this kind of training sparring section between the two of them. Did you like seeing like some of the younger Mandalorians being like, taught by the you know their their elders like did you think that that was cool to see did you think it was relevant to the story or relevant thematically i I think it is interesting thematically because we've kind of i mean obviously this is not something that we've seen before um but i do think that it matters that some of the points that we are trying to really get across here is where do you come from and what does it mean? What does that, what does that say about you? Um, how important is that? How important do you hold it to your sense of identity? Um, and there's something about it that feels very, you know, it's meant to feel very natural. I think it, it hits this kind of this place of, you know, you see stuff like this in other media, of, you know, young people training and, and learning to fight when it's like, okay, you've reached the age of whatever you're old Mm -hmm. enough to hold a sword. You're old enough to fight somebody with it. Um, and it's usually portrayed as, as, you know, ah, that might be cruel. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit too much. And what kind of responsibilities are you giving to a child? But the point here is, you know, we've kind of talked about the dichotomy of, you know, solving problems with violence versus not. Yeah. Um, I think there's something to be said about the pride and uh, of the culture um, and, and the way that foundlings and, and children of Mandalorians um, take that into their own identity. So I think that there's something there. Again, it's not super... It's not super drawn out. It's not really fleshed out very much. Um, but I'd like to imagine that that's a theme that we can kind of hold on to moving forward as Din and Din and Grogu kind of strengthen their relationship and their identity as as a as a unit. You know, I also really like that from that identity that you're talking about. Like we we've heard the jar and say that like weapons are his religion and his religion seems to be kind of his whole thing. You know, yeah, and yeah. I think you know, per the commutative property weapons are his whole thing. (laughs) Um, and I, I think that this is a great way of showing that of like combat really seems to be a way that these people are able to learn truths about themselves. It's also like a bonding opportunity. Um, it's also like a familial thing too, that we see like family members either instructing or spectating, uh, watching their other family members learn this way of life. Uh, I thought it was really great that we get to see that we, we get to see this development of how somebody gets to be from this young age to get to be somebody like Dinjarin, who is, you know, proficient and, and, you know, highly skilled. And obviously I imagine some Mandalorians are probably better at 
kicking ass than some others are, but it's cool to see them in kind of this early stage, similarly to what we see with younglings. Uh, I think that there's a lot of parallels drawn between Jedi and Mandalorians in this episode, specifically in relation to Grogu, kind of having both of his his little feet uh, in, in both of those kind of... Uh, pies i guess i don't know what what am i trying to think of <laughs> um, but uh, the... <laughs> i don't know do people usually put their feet in pie <laughs> well you can people say like you got like your fingers in pies i guess i was like he's straddling the line like is what i'm saying yes yes he's he's on both sides of the door yeah. is yeah okay yeah you get what i'm saying yeah right um, for sure. but the fact that we see grogu who's thrust into this and is like really given a chance and isn't like ridiculed other than like he's smaller and a baby Baby, you know, he's he's not really like, oh, what a freak. Look at his ears. You know, he's like he's allowed to play his reindeer games, which I like I thought was fun because <laughs> Grogu is given this like wrist mounted weapon that shoots paint uh, in a game of essentially like three strikes you're out. I thought it was very cute. He's just given this little thing and he just kind of looks at it like, OK, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a nice moment yeah. because we see him that he is really unsure of not you know how does he do this like is is he able to do this it's not that but to me i read it as this unsureness of allowing others to see his abilities um yes. and after receiving encouragement from bo katan as well as dinjarin um and after taking two hits like straight to the chest he then opens himself up to the force leaping leaping over the child shooting him three times winning the match i'm unsure i need to rewatch the episode but i feel like he cheated a little bit because the other kid like shot him once like gave him a second you know and then Grogu was like, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like well, the, the, the judge guy said you can shoot him in any order you want. Um, which I think means like you could, you could do like three in know, a row. A, yeah. Rapid a rat fire. Tat, yeah. 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 You know, the kid was like um, nice and like mercy rose. Like it's his first time. And then Grogu was like, Rah! <laughs> I know that's the thing is he's, I read it very much the same as like, yeah, the, you know, Ragnar is like, this is just target practice. Yeah. Bop. Okay. One point. Bop. Yeah. Two points, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it is, I think it's a very nice moment of communication. And this is again, this is something that I have been asking for from this show. And I think it delivers here that, you know, I want that communication between Grogu and Din of, of understanding and, and this moment, you know, albeit short, um, this moment really does feel like it, it, you know, brings out that, that communicative side between the two of them. Also, you referred to, um, I think you said Din Djarin and Bo-Katan. Uh, I think you meant mommy and daddy. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's just wrong. how it yeah, is. You're not wrong. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love that they're both able to like offer this insight and like help each other. And I, I like that they are kind of co-parenting in a weird way. I would love yeah, for Din Djarin yeah. to be like, I got this, you know, like I don't need help here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Bo-Katan and her advice that he, get, that she gives is, is uh, really nice. And I think that they could like learn a, t a thing or two about each other, about like fear and kind of closing yourself off and really, you know, learning from past, not mistakes, but like past trials and trauma and tribulations and like not using that as a, you know, something to close off and like really understanding how that can impact you going forward. But um, after this moment, we see that, you know, Grogu wins the match uh, and, you know, has, has like I said, left over, uh, left over Ragnar and, and, and uses the force and, and everything. Something that I was like curious that this episode doesn't really address at all. 
I, and I want to know if you were able to derive any meaning behind it's like lack of addressing is the fact that the covert or the armorer or the kid or nobody really protests at all Grogu using the force. The armorer like refers to Jedi as enemy sorcerers the last season doesn't really seem to have like an appreciation for the force. Were you surprised that nobody, not Paz Vizla, the dad, even like calls it out at all? And they kind of just understand that that's like a part of it, you know? Like, what did you think of that moment? Did you think that this is something that should have been addressed? Or were you like, no, I actually saw some deeper meaning in this moment? I, I would love if it was addressed. I think that this is one of those things where I can kind of. I can kind of gather how I feel about it and what I would imagine would, you know, the conversation would be. I know, you know, for one thing, it is important to the armor that, and she addresses it, or at least she says something akin to this, that, uh, that Grogu has chosen to be a Mandalorian, um, instead of, you know, being, instead of being forced to be a Mandalorian while still, you know, coming from the Jedi and being of the Jedi. Um, so that, that to me, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'd love if it was addressed, but I understand kind of the, um, the importance of identity within the children of the watch, um, is something that kind of takes precedent over everything. And so I wonder if there is maybe a piece of it where the other foundlings and the other, you know, the other children, uh, understand, or I guess everybody really, I, I wonder if they understand that because of Grogu's choice, that he is able to lend his abilities, whatever they may be to their covert. Um, that's, that's sort of, I guess how I would understand it and see it, but I do think it would warrant a conversation because we're kind of in this spot of, are we really, are we going to address the unification of Mandalore and how, there once was a unified Mandalore that was led by a Jedi, somebody that wielded the dark saber. Are we going to address that at all? Uh, because that's, you know, not only happening again as if it were like spoken out of a prophecy, mm -hmm. but you know, that's kind of what we're following right now. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll end up having that conversation, but I, I at least like that there's a little bit more insight into Grogu opening himself up to the force uh, freely a little bit, you know? So for me, I think the, the answer to my own question is like, yes, you know, to both of them. I think that there is uh, I, a bit of a frustration that I have for nothing really being brought up about this, like no conversations yeah. being had. And I also think that, yes, there are deeper thematic lessons to be had. And the reason that I'm frustrated is because there are deeper lessons to be had. I think the moment still has those, those meanings, but I think it could really be like a, a point of growth for these characters or an illustrative moment for these characters. Like I am one surprised that the armor doesn't say anything. I'm surprised that Paz Vizla even kind of like, doesn't like berate his son or anything like that, but he's kind of like essentially like, yeah, size matters, not kind of situation. Like it, the, the lesson is learned, you know, not to underestimate your opponent. And I think that it would have been a nice moment of opportunity for someone like Bo-Katan to, if, if someone, Paz Vizsla, the armor, whoever, you know, was able to like come up and have some sort of umbrage with this moment in Bo-Katan, like you had already mentioned, uses Tar Vizsla as an example. Therefore, again, tying back to the Mythosaur, tying back to the Darksaber, understanding that 
these lessons and these pieces of history and your past, you know, can inform you going forward and that these symbols do mean something, but they shouldn't have a stranglehold over you. You know, the fact that the heritage of Mandalore and the very symbolism of the Darksaber is rooted in someone who was able to unify these two separate factions, I think is significant. And I think if Bo-Katan, and I would prefer it to be Bo-Katan, was somebody to say this or to make this point, that could, to me, in talking about for yourself of this lack of, you know, trajectory or like, where are we going with this? To me, I would have taken that as like, that's a really great moment of leadership for Bo-Katan, a really great moment to really foreshadow what we're going to get with her, maybe potentially of being this symbol, this unifying leader that reunites Mandalore and these different factions, these people have splintered. She's able to take those differences and make them whole. I feel like the fact that Grogu is welcomed with open arms is like, cool, I'm happy for Grogu, but I have to wonder if like this potential conflict that could have arose from that if the show is having a disservice to itself by not addressing that or having that not be a point again, I'm like proud of the armor, like good for her. I expected less from her, (laughs) but then I'm also kind of like, Oh, that could have been really interesting, you know, to talk about that. Yeah. And and it is, you know, it's a little frustrating that the only kind of, I guess, conflict that there is, and it's not really even conflict, but the only kind of drama that happens is Ragnar is like, how come he doesn't wear a helmet? Right. And it's like, you know, well, he can't, he talk. can't talk. Yeah. yeah. So he can't ask for a helmet, <laughs> you know, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, that point is sort of easily remedied because, you know, he's like, well, if he can't, if he's not old enough for a helmet, he's not old enough to fight. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. He's old enough to fight. Yeah. Okay, great. Moving on. Yeah. But that isn't ever addressed in terms of, you know, you'd be surprised and he has, he has yeah. these abilities and anyways then yes. suddenly a giant creature f- <laughs> i needed to interrupt you the same way that the show does <laughs> then all of a sudden you might as well say a giant creature flies in snatching ragnar and takes it back to their nest yeah can i just really quickly like <laughs> what what the, the fact <laughs> that why both times that we've seen this convert the same thing happens for one there's like a practical quite a kind of question of like Stay inside. Maybe oh go somewhere God. else. Go to a different <laughs> planet. Inside. Go more <laughs> inland. Like maybe go to us. Uh, I hear, you know, indoors nice this time of year. Maybe go there. Make <laughs> friends with the Ewoks. Go to Pabu. Have a have a holiday, you know. And I, I gotta no, I gotta bring this up though. They say like uh, this has happened before. What? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. They're like they're like, well, it happens, you know, we can't do this because every time we do that, then he kills uh, he kills the kid. Yeah. Oh my god. What? Uh, it's frustrating. I, so there's that level to it, but then there's also just, and I'm, I'm not going to use the word lazy because I don't, yep, I don't yep. think it comes from like a, a lack of care. I think to me, it's just not the most creative way to move your set piece along or to introduce something else or to, if you want to foreshadow this or then have that be a threat or something, you know, paid off or have this be a consequence. Maybe somebody stole something, something, you know, the fact that it happens twice in the show and four episodes span to where these people are doing some sort of ritualistic thing. And then all of the sudden this thing comes in, this big creature and disrupts things to the same kid, mind you. And then like 
somebody has to swoop in and save the day to me is just not as creative of a choice. Like I would rather see literally another thing, just something else. Like it's just not, it's like, is this place like the fucking Everglades? Are they in Australia? Like what's going on here? Like, ah, another gator. Yeah. Just move on. Like go to a different thing or do a different thing. Like to me, the fact that the impetus of this episode, like the, 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 the moment of conflict in this episode is a big creature comes in is just not, not as interesting to me. No, just not as interesting. It's not interesting at all. It's not interesting at all in any way. Um, and the fact that this, this is, I think what is, like the most concerning for me in terms of like why we are spending time doing this is that this is the, like, this is the plot of the whole episode Right is, you know, for whatever reason, all of a sudden a kid gets snatched by a dragon, a literal dragon. Yeah. And that's, that's the episode. And to me, when I'm imagining a writer's room full of people, it's like, all right, we're halfway through the show what do you got? And they're like, they go and get a get, rescue a kid from a dragon. You know, it, it's what, okay. Um, anything else? And they're like, Nope, that's it. That is it. And I, I just don't, I don't get it. I, I've seen a lot of people like point out, they're like, Oh, this is super pulpy and sci-fi and like clash of the Titans. And it's like, it's silly and, and goofy. And I'm like, totally right there with you. It's very silly. It's very goofy. I love when star Wars gets weird and pulpy and bizarre and strange. I have no qualms with that. It's just, I just don't think it's, introduced or incorporated into this episode in a super creative or surprising way. It's, it's uh, to me. And then all of the sudden is just not like a super interesting way for uh, the plot to move along. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, it's not that I saw this moment. It was like pff, big monster. That's dumb. I was just kind of like, Oh, we've done, we're doing this again. We're doing this yeah, again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just I struggle with this because if we, you know, listener, if this is if this conversation is frustrating you because you love dragons and <laughs> you know, and the, here's what I would say is not only have we seen this before where it is the you know out of nowhere this happens and that's what drives the plot, but that we have seen you know and it, again like you said it has nothing to do with big monsters. We have seen twice the mudhorn. And uh, and the crate dragon have been used as big, scary beasts yeah. that, you know, that they have to contend with. But they are used in ways that are incorporated into a larger idea and a larger theme totally. in, you know, with with the crate dragon. It's working together with the Tuscan Raiders, with the Mudhorn. It's, you know, overcoming your own your 100%. own uh, lack of like lack of ability and being letting you allowing yourself to be rescued mm -hmm. and and the cooperation there those are two examples and they yeah. are displayed so proudly and they're also of, foreshadowed or at least like established exactly. to be a threat to where like with yes. the the you know the the mud horn you need to go get this thing travel into this lair to go get some sort of hidden object and there's a creature in there or even with like uh the uh, the crate dragon like you see it move through town but you only see a little bit of it that way when you have that big fight at the end it feels feels like it feels like a culmination rather than just like a, it feels like it's yeah. filmed in IMAX yeah. you know <laughs> yeah <it's, laughs> which it, yeah it was um but yeah it's just like that idea is not it's not that it's tired it's not that it's old it's not that it's cheesy it's just that it's 
it's so uninteresting. Yeah. You know, definitely not my, not, not my favorite, you know, way to kick off the episode here, but, uh, we digress. Um, Bo-Katan is able to catch up to the creature with her ship while the other Mandalorian's jetpacks run out of fuel, which I thought was a cool character moment that she's able yeah. to kind of have the forethought of like, they're not going to get very far. Let me, instead of just running after it, like, let me take a breath and then like maybe follow it with a ship that can actually keep up with it. Yeah. I, I thought that that was a cool moment of her showing like, you know, uh, good kind of in the moment, you know, instincts. I, I thought that that was, was, was really great. Um, she's able to, uh, follow it back to, uh, its nest, locate it, and then able to develop a plan to retrieve the child while leaving Grogu at the convert with the armor, uh, excuse me, with the armorer. Um, this was like an interesting move. Uh, I thought, pinning the two of them up was like kind of an interesting pairing um, because the complexity of the armor continues to like escape me. I'm just like, I can't put my finger on you as a character, not in a bad way. This isn't a complaint, but she like teaches Grogu about Mandalorian culture while like making a piece of armor. And I think one, like she's able to, have like some moments of wisdom in this episode uh, is a character that I formerly really liked, liked for different reasons. And then like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, are you this weird, you know, dogmatic cult leader? Are you? Yes. That, <laughs> but also like still, you know, have moments of wisdom. Like I can't quite place it. Like I thought this conversation one is like the thematic heart of this episode, which we'll talk about. Um, but was just a really interesting pairing. Yeah, it is. I was actually kind of hoping that we were going to have, uh, that we were going to have the the rest of the group go take care of this dragon thing and be gone the whole episode, and Grogu was going to have a solo adventure with the armorer. Um, I would have loved that. That would have been very interesting. But I do think of all the people to, you know, th throughout this season so far, what we are having is Grogu learning from multiple different perspectives that I think that the armor's perspective of the creed and of Mandalorian culture is still in and of itself very different from Din's creed, even though he is the one that learned everything from her, you know, ostensibly, I don't know if that's entirely true. Um, but we can sort of assume that, that everything that he knows and holds to believe is stuff that has come from her, or at least mm -hmm. that, that her, you know, dogma has really passed down to him. So having them together is interesting because she has a very, you know, solid philosophy on what it means to be Mandalorian. Granted, I don't think that she would say that weapons are her religion. Um, she takes a very, you know, a very different approach to it. So we're she getting hammers these, are my religion. Yeah. It's just <laughs> hammers and fire, uh, molten metal. Um, that's what so I'm all about. I, I like, yeah, <laughs> right. So I, I, I wonder if this is setting up this melting pot of, of ideas for Grogu. Good pun. Oh, great. I did, <laughs> didn't even mean to. This forge uh, of ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so like, there's that part of it to where I, I think that there's something to be said about it. Granted, I don't know what grow. I don't know what pieces of it Grogu is taking um, as his own belief. If we can even say right now that Grogu is forming a belief or a, or a, you know, a faith in anything really, or a religion that adheres to one thing. Yeah. I don't fully know, but we're getting a lot of different perspectives. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of Grogu, something that she like a piece of wisdom that she gives to him. And I was like, that's just 
like not only a good piece of wisdom for Grogu, and again, I think is like the kind of the thematic nucleus of this episode, but I was like, that's a damn good Star Wars quote. Like that's really a great piece of wisdom. I put it in the notes. Um, it says, we all begin as raw um, or and we are refined or we refine ourselves through trials of adversity. I think it's really important thematically to this episode, but it relates to something specifically that I'm going to put a pin in and we'll bring it back up again, uh, because as the armor forges away, we see flashbacks of the very trials that Grogu faced as he flees the Jedi Temple during Order 66. Um, a group of Jedi are protecting Grogu from clone troopers as we hear get him to Kelleran uh, revealed Noah to be. None other than Kelleran Beck, the sabered hand, who is portrayed, of course, by Ahmed Best, who originated in Jedi Temple Challenges. Um, I don't know about you. When I heard, get him to Kelleran, I was like, wait, what? Keller, what? Kelleran Beck? <laughs> and then I was like, it's probably just like, we're not going to, there's no way. And then it's revealed to be Ahmed Best, which if, you know, for you guys that don't know, is the actor that did the performance capture as well as the voice for Jar Jar Binks, someone who as an actor, as a human, as, apart from Star Wars, has faced so much adversity, has gone through such, such a difficult time, but really has seemed to taken that and has, you know, learned from it and grown from it and is really on this journey of healing. And I'm so proud of them. And I'm so glad that Star Wars and the fan community, you know, maybe not as a whole, but a, a sizable portion of us have welcomed him back with open arms and so for him to be in this episode being, you know, this Jedi, like protecting Grogu rather than somebody just hosting a game show. I was I was elated. Noah. I was so, so happy. I, I I'm going to just for demonstration purposes, um, I like had an out loud reaction uh, as as shows like this tend to do mm -hmm. to me. Um, and moments like this tend to do to me and I'm going to back away from the mic. Um, <laughs> so you don't because blow out our listeners ears. So was, yeah. So I was sitting there and this happened and, and let me, let me frame this. Uh, so the other people that I live with got home and, and I was kind of like, ah, oh, should I pause it? Like we're kind of in this weird spot. Like, I don't really know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pause it and I'll just let it play. And then like they left the room, they exited the room and I was like, all right, you know, see, see you later. And this isn't that got back to the episode. And then I go, Oh, we're, we're, Oh, we're looking at order 66. Okay. And like, they had just walked out of the room and I went, <laughs> I went, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> As I don't we know all if that did, came through very clearly, uh, but uh, yeah, I was shocked to the core. Yeah, I was absolutely baffled um, yeah. and and so elated. Mm -hmm. And I like I, I I called Rachel in and I was like, I've talked to you about this before. Let me explain this. Like, and so I did. And it's just one of those things where. I, I think that this is something really special aside from the fact that, yes, like you said, this is somebody that's, that's been brought back into the fold of Star Wars with with open arms and, and has learned to 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 love past the hurt and past the the the, you know, the insults and the and the criticism past all of that. Someone that's been brought back. This is something that's interesting to me in doing this in a way where. The question has been asked since it's been posed, who saved Grogu from the Jedi Temple? Mm -hmm. And you know what? The answer is it barely matters. 
it barely matters. What matters is, is that Ahmed best is, is the guy like, Mm -hmm. that's what I care about. And the fact that we have an answer to this question that is not like, Ooh, could it be this person that we see in the clone wars episode? You know, like it doesn't matter. Let it go. It's, we have our answer and it's better than I could have hoped for. You know, um, I, I just, it's something that really, really struck me. Like I said, very, very hot on this on this entire scene, I think. Yeah, and I think as far as like you saying like it it barely matters, I, I think like for me, it it matters, but it's completely related to the actor. Like, yeah, it's cool to see a character that you recognize, but it's not like it's got th- like canon wide ramifications to where it is like an Obi Wan or something like that. But exactly. I think characters that I'm thinking of that people did kind of maybe pin, you know, rescuing Grogu being like Barisafi or Quinlan Voss. Although yeah. there is like a power and like it would have been super cool, you know, and it would have got a big reaction out of me if we saw Quinlan Voss. It's totally different, and that's that moment of fan service that we've talked about. That is a fan service where it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio, like, you know, like, you know, like, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Oh, it's that to me, but it just begins and ends. And and like, not to say it's thematically like devoid of, uh, you know, of, of power. Um, we would talk about what that means to have somebody like Quinlan Voss. But to me, the main draw of someone like a Barisafi or like a Quinlan Voss is like, Oh, it's that thing that I recognize. And although Kelleran Beck and Ahmed best, fits into that category of hey it's that thing that i recognize it's not that like the moment is is not you know nearly moving me to tears because i'm like oh it's that guy from the (laughs) from that kids you know game show uh of the legends of the hidden temple like star wars knockoff that i saw like three years ago it's not that at all it's the fact that ahmed best as you had mentioned really had a tough go at star wars um George Lucas brought him in fans outwardly openly and even still to this day rejected him. And I, I hear Jar Jar jokes in 2023, the, the year of our Lord, 2000 and 2023, I still hear Jar Jar jokes and someone to be the butt of this franchise for so, so long and struggled with suicide at one point, And I don't know what their healing journey is like up to this point, but I'm so proud of them that they have continued to grow continued to be you know not just vocal about mental health and and all of those things but has had the courage to come back into star wars even before all of this to come to star wars celebration for the 20th anniversary of the phantom menace i'm rocking the t-shirt under this hoodie because it's cold in my apartment um really championing this this character again and being reintroduced into star wars and doing something like jedi temple challenges which is like fun and silly which is jar jar you know to the t but using that character someone whose character in that silly game show is is someone who ushers along padawans as they make you know, as they pass the trials to become Jedi Knights, really ushering on the new generation and continuing to guide them to be forces of good. The fact that he is the guy 
that saves Grogu from the Jedi Temple. The fact that he, someone who has refined himself through trials of adversity, like the armorer says, and he is the one to usher along Grogu and protect him along the way, is so, so powerful to me. More powerful than it being Barasafi or Quinlan Voss. Yes, somebody could go buy an action figure of and it's cool and it would kick ass and they'd be doing a bunch of cool lightsaber stuff, which, you know, Kellerin Beck does get to do. Uh, he's the yeah. sabered hand for a reason. So that was fun to see. But the fact that we get to see Ahmed Best in this heroic, triumphant return, I think is so powerful, not just for this character, because Kellerin Beck has that power, too, of like the, the meaning and the power of having him be the person who saves Grogu, a child. But to me, having that behind the scenes knowledge of Ahmed Best, it like nearly moved me to tears like it is so, so powerful. I could not have picked a better candidate to to fulfill this role. Absolutely. I, I, there's, there's hardly any more to be said. I mean, that's, it's, it's a choice that, that makes so much sense. Um, and it's, and I'm so glad that it's a choice that nobody really saw coming. Dude, you I, know, you could have given me like a two and a half weeks to, to draft my guesses. Calgary Peck would have no, are you kidding me? He would have never been close. Yeah, of course, of course. And that's, you know, that to me speaks volumes about, what goes into this show and, and who is brought in, um, not only behind the camera, but obviously in front of it. Um, I think that, I think that's huge. Um, this was a really, really special moment, not, you know, and again, excuse me, putting, putting aside the fact that we get an answer to that question. I do not care. I have not cared for the longest time. You know, when everybody's like, Oh, who do you think it is? I have not cared. But now that we have the answer, it is so important. It's so special. Um, so I'm just, I'm really, really happy about that. Yeah. This is like such a great moment for prequel fans and fans of Ahmed Best. I know we've t- we told the story uh, before, but like seeing him, we didn't get to go to the main stage, but seeing like on the small celebration stage or the fan stage, seeing him come out at celebration and being like overwhelmingly welcomed by fans coming back was just, uh, it's an unforgettable Star Wars celebration moment. I'm always going to remember that. So the fact that yeah. he was here at this moment, I was just like, oh my God, it's something that like uh, 5% of Star Wars fans might get or might pick up on, but those yeah. 5%, I have to imagine are just elated. So this is a win for the 5%. Like it's, it's, yes. it's so, so great. Um, I've got the positive stuff out of the way. Here's the, here's, here's the <laughs> negative. Here's the cap. Here's right. the caveat. When, when he escapes with Grogu onto the speeder, it doesn't look very good though. That's all I'm going to no. say. I'm going to move on. I'm going to live in this moment of happiness, live in this moment of peace, but, doesn't look very good. It's no, I imagine yeah. he was shot on a green screen uh, and they ushered him in under a towel under a, you know, a hood. <laughs> so nobody, no paparazzi would get him or anything like that. But it's, it, it doesn't look very good anyway. Yeah. I'm going to move on it, from it, that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's all that needs to be said. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to live in my, my positive moment here and the, the power of this moment. Um, and just a, a, a bit of a tangent, a bit of a tangent, uh, allow me that we can get back to the episode. Yeah, I, for I'm, sure. I'm able to watch something like Attack of the Clones or like Revenge of the or a Phantom Menace or, or what have you and be like, that line reading is not my favorite. That piece of direction is not my favorite. That visual effects not my favorite. And it is 
trying and it's kind of detracting away from the moment or the depth or the the power of this moment right here. Um, but I think a lot of this episode as well as last, last week's episode, I didn't feel like it was taking away from the power of these moments because I didn't really feel like there was a power in the moment, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, yeah, it's not I, like I I'm like, oh, that would be a really great scene if it if that VFX was a little bit better because something like Obi-Wan. I think on paper is brilliant, but I think in, in execution that the scope of the show feels a bit small, feels very TV came out in a, in a COVID era. I understand the realities of all that kind of stuff. I wish it looked a bit better than it does, but I'm able to push that all aside because I love that story so damn much. Like it's so, so great of a story, but there's just some visual stuff that just kind of takes away a little bit from me where with some of the moments in this, I'm like, doesn't look great. Also, isn't that great? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. That's the thing is yeah. it, it, it turns into, adding on to exactly the pile, exactly you know yeah exactly but uh still i digress great moment uh we're probably going to get more keller and back because he's able to a escro- uh, escrote <laughs> uh, is able to <laughs> good god <laughs> able to who able to escort grogu to a nubian ship uh, along with some naboo security guards um and they're able to escape making their jump to hyperspace so a win for phantom menace fans noah like we got some naboo security guards we got a nubian starship a nubian nice (laughs) when i saw that i was like oh yeah so so good yeah so uh we're definitely going to be getting more keller and back whether it's in this season or in other seasons Oh, it's going to happen. And I will, I will hoop and holler and I hope we get an action figure. I want a black series, uh, Keller and Beck figure. Give me, I'll, I'll settle for a Funko pop. Noah. I will. <laughs> I just need it. So yeah. So great. Um, do you think we're going to see more of them or do you think that this is the end of Keller and Beck? I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Um, there's going to be, there's going to be a great reaction to this is what I'll say. Um, so I would not be surprised if later on down the road, we get a little bit more of that. Um, yeah, I, I could see that happening. Um, I don't necessarily... Well, I guess if we're going to continue with a couple of the flashbacks here as Grogu continues to kind of lean a little bit less on, on repressing those memories, then it's then it's entirely possible. Um, I don't I don't know if I see that happening uh, in this in this season, but you know, remains to be seen. Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope we, that we do. Um, I, I want to see more of this character, but I'm also like bracing for impact because he probably isn't going to make it, you know, so I, I'm just kind of like, I want to see it up to a point. I want to see them like live happily ever after. And then I'm like, something bad happens, but I have ignorance is bliss, baby. I don't have to see it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I will take any more Ahmed best uh, any day of the week. Um, we then cut back to Bo-Katan kind of in the quote unquote present day uh, and Din Djarin continuing their journey to the nest of the creature relying on their grappling hooks to scale the side of the cliffs as you had already kind of uh, mentioned the the jetpacks would uh, alert the characters or alert the, the creatures because it seems like they've done this before um, and the uh, group lays down camp uh, where we see some of the customs uh, of this uh, convert um, once the food has been distributed amongst the group the Mandalorians disperse remove their helmets in private and Bo-Katan being the leader of the party is able to remain by the fire and eat her food alone. So this was another example, Noah, of like, ooh, interesting. Dive into it a little bit more. Uh, you know, nope. like it and it just kind of like moves on from that. I, I will say the positives first. Um, I love that the Mandalorians are like 
beginning to look towards Bo-Katan as like a leader in this moment. Like she really comes at her own as this leadership moment. Uh, I, I think that that was great. I, I also love that it answers like oddly specific Star Wars questions of like, hey, how do you guys eat? Like, I love that kind of weird stuff, too. We saw it a little bit like in the season where Din like has the soup and he's like, <laughs> like under his mask. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love that kind of shit. Um, unfortunately, I think that this moment also has really not great visual effects. I think the volume is like super, super evident in this moment. Uh, it looks like it was filmed in a soundstage. Looks well, terrible. You know what it looks like to me is it feels like a feels like a theater performance where it's like, what are the most creative ways that we can get somebody behind something so that they can get offset? And just like walk I, behind a rock. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. It looks like a theater performance with like a really well done set. Yeah. And and I mean, we've seen that before. It's we've seen it in this se- in the season before. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's very evident. I I agree with you though. I think that there's, you know, it it lingers a little bit, just enough to make you think about it. Um. When Bo Katan is sitting by the fire alone, and there's an interesting conversation to be had there, is what is you know, do we really are, are we really this unified group if we're if we're going to split off and you know by ourselves and not have that community. But yeah, it doesn't, it does not call attention to that. Yeah. I think that it'd be great if there was some kind of conflict between Bo-Katan and the rest of them. Um, you know, kind of, you, you make a good point of bringing up that they are looking to, to Bo-Katan for leadership. And that's, that's interesting. Um, conversely to that point, why, why would they not question her? Why are they so accepting? And, you know, why is there not any kind of conflict between the fact that she doesn't really believe in all this hoopla, but is, you know, kind of goes along with it for the sake of, of, for the sake of making people happy, you know, why is there not any conflict there? I don't, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's a place where it could be. And you know what, for a, for an episode like this, that's, you know, 29 minutes long, give or take, like add a couple minutes to have that conversation. I don't see the harm in doing that. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think even simple stuff like, okay, they're scaling up this and, and talking about the, and I'm not going to act like Trey Parker, and I think Matt Stone is his name. I'm not even fans of South Park. I just think like you, we've talked about it before, and I think it's a good point to to say, and I think it's, I think the reason we keep building or we keep bringing that up as one we're not writers and so it's like sometimes it's kind of hard to communicate some of this kind of stuff yeah, so yeah. having like a tangible example of being like i i feel like there's a lack of something here i'm not a writer so maybe it's a little i, I i'm not a writer in like a screenplay sense so sometimes it could be kind of hard to communicate what's exactly missing so in using that analogy um of the the you know so therefore or which leads to this i know that there's also one of um, I think it's called good news, bad news. It's like another kind of screenwriting tactic of like, okay, yeah. okay, good news. You know, um, John McClane is able to kill the bad guys, but you know, the window breaks behind him. Okay. That's bad news. Okay. Good news. He's, he's able to tie the fire hose around him. Okay. Bad news. He needs to break the window so he could get through it. You know, like one thing leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another kind of a similar idea to what the South Park guys are talking about. And it's just weird that like, Okay we can't use our jetpacks. It's going to alert the creatures. So therefore we have to use our grappling hooks. Okay, cool. Grappling hooks take longer. They're also a little bit more dangerous rather than just like up to the top of the mountain. And then the grappling hooks don't really amount to anything. They just also climb this mountain. So it's kind of like, what's the point of doing that? Like nobody falls and Bo-Katan is able to save them. Nobody, 
nobody nothing you know nobody i'm just kind of like <laughs> yeah. what's the point of that like why are we it's just a weird thing to add on to there usually like a general rule of thumb again i don't know nothing about nothing i just generally know that like when a writer has something in a screenplay it's for a point it's usually not by accident and so it's just weird that like this thing is specifically named of like we can't use this tool of ours so we have to resort to something a little bit more primitive climb up this rock batman you know batman 66 adam west style <laughs> you know and like it's not really capitalized at all i also think it's weird that like this kid who is uh, is paz vizsla's son like he has this moment of like you no, know, I'm taking him now. Anakin, no. Like, you know, he has a moment yes. like that where he just rushes in and it's not really of any consequence. And he and Bo-Katan don't come to blows. You think he would. He seems to be like a pretty ego-filled guy. We see him go toe-to-toe with Din Djarin thinking that he can wield the Darksaber in, last, in, in the Book of Boba Fett. So it's weird that they don't come to blows. That like Bo-Katan being the leader of this mission, he's not like... How do you know what's best? Like, it's my son. I'm leading the mission. Like, there's not really that conflict. I'm not saying that he's more deserving or she's more deserving. I just think that there's a missed opportunity for something, some interaction to happen there that really solidifies or continues to solidify Bo-Katan as, as a leader. Again, I think that this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about of being destination focused. My destination is the exact same. I, I want Bo-Katan to be solidified as a leader. She is in this episode, but the journey getting there has no twists and turns. It's A to B, you know, and I want A to D and stop along to B and C and, you know, and like make a, make, tell a story rather than just like, if I was telling you about my day and was like, so, oh my God, let me tell you what happened. I went to Starbucks and I got coffee and I drove home. You're kind of like, okay. Bo you know, boring what, day. <laughs> what's the, what's the intrigue? What happened rather than, oh, and I got a flat tire and then I had to call, you know, like make a thing out of it, which is so weird. Cause this is what this story Amanda Lauren has always done. Right. It's always been like, yeah. okay, Din Djarin needs to get. A, a compressor for his ship and which leads him to this, which leads him to that. And yeah, a lot of people, it doesn't really work for them, but at least it's like telling a story. It's not just, we need this thing. We have the thing. Bo-Katan needs to be solidified as a leader and shown to be a leader. So she's shown as a leader, you know, like really take me through this journey. It's spin a yarn here. Noah. it's yeah. just not. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm rambling. Uh, uh, no, to but take it away. You're, you're totally right. And I think, I think that like, the continuation of this scene and the conflict that they do get into with this big old dragon mama bird, um, the the frustrating thing here and, you know, going back to what you're saying and continuing forward is that the main thing that seems to plague this, this progression of story is that whatever is, you know, whatever ends up happening, it's, it's in this, like, it's in this space of it happens anyway, no matter what it happens anyway. And, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do this. Great. There's, there's no issues. It happens anyway. We're going to do this other thing. We got to do this first. Uh, or if we don't do this, you know, whatever, if we do this, then it's going to be whatever it happens anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole rescue mission, none of what they do really affects anything. There's no consequence. Like you said, you know, Paz Vizsla kind of rushes forward and, and acts without thinking first. Totally. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The, the mama bird's not there anyways. And even if she was there, son's already in her belly. Yeah. It's, you know, they get to the, they get to point 
be anyways. Yeah. Nothing matters that leads to those things. So I think, I think you're totally right. I mean, when I'm thinking in my head, what would make this more interesting is I don't think that there is a way to have this rescue mission be more interesting where they try something, it doesn't work. It ends up in this big, long chase. They try something again. It doesn't work or it almost works, but then they have to redo their plan and, and come up with a new way to do things. And, and then suddenly, you know, Bo-Katan has a great idea and is shown to be forward thinking and, and, you know, and quick on her feet and, you know, and respect is gained. Yeah. And it's just the, the, I think that that whole thing can be summed up as doesn't matter. It happens anyway. Yeah. And, and like, it's just frustrating. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, it, okay. So like. Luke Skywalker is brought into the Rebel Alliance and through all of this he still manages to blow up the Death Star like I know good is ultimately going to triumph from evil but like there's just tenets of storytelling that like yeah, at the end of the second act your characters are like are in their lowest point and then like there's a climax and a resolution and it just I, I think you and I feel a similar thing or it's just kind of flat like it's just there's no ebb and flow it's just like they go to the thing and get the thing and then come back. Like, what's the, like, I don't feel like Paz Vizsla or anybody really, Din Djarin really learns anything about like this experience. I'm just kind of like, why are we doing this? Like, I just, yeah, it's, it's weird, man. It's weird, weird stuff. I don't understand exactly what a, a lot of the point of this is. It's just kind of, it's, it's odd. I, I think thematically, again, shows like the importance of, protecting the next generation ushering on this next generation i think the mandalorians are shown to have like parallels with the jedi here as far as like putting yourself in harm's way to protect like the the youth and and all of that which i think is great but it's just not told in like a super interesting way um at the end of the day but in the action noah bokatan loses her shoulder pauldron prompting the armor to forge her a new one bokatan asks if she would like to retain or bokatan is asked if she would like to retain the night owl symbol but she asks if she could have the myth the source symbol instead uh the armorer agrees and bokatan asks uh what she would say if she had claimed to see a mythosaur uh to which the armorer dismisses her claiming that it may or may not have been a vision seems to kind of just like there's no way <laughs> you know he doesn't even <laughs> give it a second thought bokatan then dons her new pauldron having this mythological figure as a part of her now we uh, you know in transitioning to sort of the end of our conversation what do you think is like the the power of having the symbol as a, of a mythosaur on Bo-Katan specifically now being a part of her armor. I think that there's, at least for me, there's hope that it's indicative of her, I guess her, her main objective, right? And, and we want to see Bo-Katan as a leader and I don't know if she sees herself as a leader yet, but she has this ideal vision of unifying Mandalore. And if she is cooking up some plan to make that happen, great. I love it. And that's kind of what I see this being is, you know, she asks and she's kind of given this answer of, uh, <laughs> kind of a dumb question to ask, don't you think? Um, <laughs> you know, but for her, it's not like, you know, am I allowed to do this? Because like with that rough Lenny feathers, it's more in the sense of like, actually, this is something that I want to claim as part of my identity. And what, you know, what would I be taken as if that was part of my identity? And the answer is kind of, yeah, there's no problem with that. Um, so I think that that's something that hopefully will come back. Um, so I think that that's, I think that that's interesting. And I hope that it leads to her maybe 
not necessarily just accepting the role of a leader, but more so, you know, more so focusing on her ideal of, of unifying Mandalore, um, and, and being able to be the one to that people to, you know, that people have to look to, um, as a unification for many different reasons. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I, I think for one, it would be odd if she was like, yeah, night owls, like the very like unit that, you know, was, part of death watch that like led to all of this crap ultimately, you know, like I, I, that would be weird if she was like still really championing that. I think it's powerful that she chooses not like some could see it as like a generic Mandalorian symbol, but it is a symbol of Mandalorian. It doesn't matter what faction or group or sect or religion you have. We are all unified under the symbol of Mandalore and right. for her to re for her to reestablish this uh, admiration and this understanding of the power of symbols, I think it really says a lot about her and her own journey towards becoming a leader and, and to ushering in this new chapter in, in, in the Mandalorian culture. One that understands, respects, and believes in the the power of of myth and and tradition, but not so much to a sense where it becomes this dogmatic stranglehold that I feel like it is for the children of the watch, the people that really are like this is this is the way, literally, and and no, there's no other way. I think I I've really enjoyed the way that. Dave and John have been able to recontextualize that phrase of this is the way it, it really does have different meanings the way in, in the way it's incorporated into different uh, uh, moments throughout the show. And I think that something like this is the way is an example of it's it is something that could just be this dogmatic phrase of and we just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and drink the wet, drink the wine and take the bread because that's what we do. Or it could right. be something that could have this new meaning, this new custom, this this unifying factor of like, yeah, we might all have different beliefs and, you know, understandings or or definitions of what it means to be a Mandalorian. But at the end of the day, we are all Mandalorian and that's, what's more important rather than these petty squabbles or this is a Mandalorian. And if you don't do this, then you're not one. You know, I I think that that's ultimately a destination that we're going to have with the show, whether or not it's has this interest in weaving along this story um, along the way remains to be seen. But yeah, final thoughts on the episode, Noah, and then we can uh, go ahead and wrap it up. But yeah, this to me, um, the show, continues to be not quite substandard not quite above the standard it just continues to be very standard uh i'm rarely blown away with the show and this episode is is a key example why i think that there are some corners that could be really interesting if if dove into and really interesting and could speak a lot to these characters and where they're at uh, if this show had the interest in diving into those areas if it doesn't and wants to go somewhere else that's fine but go somewhere else you know like it's not that i don't see where the show is headed it's the fact that it's headed in a direction and i don't see it having an interest in weaving this really compelling story it seems to just be interested into hitting these you know plot pillars along the way and what happens in the middle is just not as interesting to me you know and yeah. I, I i wish yeah. the show had an interest seemingly it maybe it does but i'm not seeing it at, at this point of really having this complex story and really wanting to dive into these characters and what they're dealing with rather than just being these stoic 
you know, characters who speak first or you shoot first, ask questions later. And the audience is left having to fill in the blanks of what we think is going on with the emotional canon of these characters. Have some conflict, have some intrigue, have some ups and downs and some ebbs and flow. Keep me invested. Give me some suspense because as of right now, I feel like I'm just a bystander watching this show. I have no emotional investment into what's happening here, unfortunately. And uh, it's a shame because I really like these characters and I, I, I want to be compelled and, 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 you know, what's going to happen this week when I click play on Disney plus rather than just like, you know, okay, new episode of Mando, see what happens, you know? And right now that's unfortunately where I'm at. Yeah. And and I agree with you. I think, you know, final thoughts I've, I've mentioned it on the show before that I often conversate with my brother about this, who has a much more cavalier and casual, um, approach to enjoying star Wars, but really likes the Mandalorian because it's very straightforward. It's not, it's not complex all the time. Um, the thing is for me, like you said, if you're going to go somewhere, then go. I, I feel like we're not committed to any one thing yet. And the things that I would expect the creators of this show, not just the creators, but the directors as well, the performers and everything, I would expect that they would have an interest in crafting these stories. And it feels like they don't. Um, so, you know, if anything, like you said, yeah, I would love just a show of commitment to what we are, you know, putting stock in as a show, what what does this show want to say? If it doesn't want to say anything important, how does it want to weave a, a story that is interesting? I feel like so far it doesn't. So I, I you know I'm I'm left I'm left a little bit helpless with this right now, and um, it's not to say that I'm not hopeful. I will always be hopeful for anything Star Wars that that happens. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like now that we're at the halfway point. I feel like I know what we're getting and I'm not going to be expecting much more. I'd love to be surprised, but um, yeah, not going to get my hopes up too much. I'm going to stay right at this level so that I don't get too disappointed. And, uh, and I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it remains to be seen. We'll see you with next week. Um, again, try not to keep our, our hopes too uh, up high too much because I think that this show has rarely exceeded my hopes for this. Um, I think that there are some episodes where I'm like, that was really great. But um, yeah. I think the, I yeah. can count on my hands the number of times that this show has done that for me. And we are now uh, halfway into season three. So for the latter half of season three, we will continue to trudge along this journey, obviously talking about each and every episode. Um, but until we get there, Noah, do you want to go ahead and wrap it up and take us home? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at ScumVillainPod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah DeGeorge. And Garrett McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.